Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Welcome to an emergency edition of the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Ben Carsley, editor-in-chief of BP Boston. Um, Ben, we are on because Dave Dombrowski has gone gangbusters in the second day of the winter meetings and uh, basically acquired everybody that he needed and some guys we didn't even know we needed. So pretty good stuff. Yeah, I mean, anytime you can walk away with Mitch Moreland as your new uh, reserve first baseman, that's uh, worthy of an emergency podcast. Yeah, that's who I was thinking about when I was uh, thinking about this podcast. I was like, man, I can't wait to talk about Mitch Moreland and his $5.5 million deal. Um, but in all seriousness, like Chris Sale is a member of the Red Sox now, which is just incredible. Um, it, there was some inkling that this was uh, something that was on Dave Dombrowski's mind, and it turns out later on that you know, he's been talking to Rick Hahn on and off about this trade for the better part of a year. Um, but they do finally pull the trigger, but at a really steep cost. So let's talk about that. Like, was that cost okay with you? Yeah, you know, it really was. Um, I, uh, I've been following along with some of the sale rumors, you know, dating back months now to when it looked like they might be players for sale at the deadline. And, you know, you heard a lot about Bradley and about Swihart and about Benintendi and you know the more you thought about Bradley Jr., the less sense it made because he's he's arbitration eligible. 
starting in this season and if the White Sox are really going to tear it all down he's probably not the guy they were going after but uh, you know you can't rule anything out with Dombrowski I, I tweeted out earlier today that I was nervous that somehow Bogarts would get involved yeah. um, so all overall you know as as good a prospect as Moncada is and as much as it hurts to lose him uh, anytime you're trading for a player of sales caliber without taking away from anything that's on the field right now uh, you have to consider that a win yeah, I agree. Um, when I saw what came out in this package, I was really hyped up. I thought it was just an awesome deal for the Red Sox for all the reasons that you just mentioned. And at first, I was holding my breath because um, the the thought kept coursing through my head that I don't want to be the last guy to have written about Blake Swihart uh, in a Red Sox uniform because I really didn't want him to go as part of the package. And hearing that he wasn't included in it, and it was... Uh, Luis Alexander Basabe and Victor Diaz is the last two prospects, really. Um, that was encouraging to me. But uh, with Yoan Moncada highlighting this deal and Michael Kopech being the other big piece, you're giving up two guys with immense ceilings here, but also two guys that I think are quite risky in terms of their profile, especially Yoan Moncada, I thought was a little bit of a, I know that he's a highly regarded prospect, but I was always a little bit scared of some of the swing and miss in his game. Um, he's a little bit raw. He puts the ball on the ground a lot. Um, while he does have the raw power and that potential and certainly a good hit tool, um, it kind of scared me that the, the tool that was flashing the most as a third baseman is which where he would have projected with the Red Sox, uh, was the speed. So that was all a little bit worrisome to me. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I think Moncada is going to be a star. I'm really not super worried about him. I do think it would have taken him a while to learn third base. And, and you know, we sort of saw that last year. Not that not that anything we saw from Moncada in the majors is really a fair litmus test for him because he was forced to learn third base on the fly. Um, but I agree that he's probably a better fit defensively at second base where the White Sox can play him. Um, I'm really not terribly worried about his offense. I, I think he is going to be a legitimate all-star, uh, at, at least, you know, if not an all-star, at least a role six player. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's someone I'm willing to give up for Chris Sale because the Red Sox already have so many, you know, young role six players on their offense uh, and even some potential role seven guys. And, well, Betts is a role seven guy, another potential role seven guy in Bogarts. So um, nothing against Moncada. I think if there's any prospect I'm glad they sold high on, it's Kopik. Um, you know, he really dominated in the AFL. They have all those reports about him throwing 105 miles an hour, which I, I, I treat with some cautious optimism there. Um, but I learned a lot about Kobeck and working with the BP prospect team to put together the Red Sox top 10 list. And a lot of people who are much better at scouting than I am seem to think he's probably a reliever. So uh, not a sure thing. And, you know, you have to wish these guys the best and hope it all works out for Kobeck. But I thought this, you know, really represented the Red Sox selling at the apex of Kopech's value. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, possibly even Moncada's value uh, coming off the uh, Baseball America Player of the Year award that he got as well. Um, With Basabe, they also get a guy who projects to be a regular center fielder eventually for them. So um, a pretty substantial package going back that way. But the thing that I want to focus on now is what the Red Sox rotation looks like, um, you know, projects out with Chris sale at the top of it. Uh, Rick Porcello, uh, David price, Eddie Rodriguez, and then some combination of clay Buckholtz, drew Pomerantz and Stephen Wright, which kind of leads me to believe that it's possible that another deal could be on the horizon here with all this pitching depth now. Yeah, I'm fine with either trading one of, or none of those guys. Um, I think trading two would be a disaster, uh, because, 
you know, none of none of Buckles, Pomeranz, or Wright has really shown the ability to hold up over a full season. So I don't think trading two is, is a reasonable course of action. Trading one makes some sense to me if you want to trade Pomeranz and try to either you know restock the farm system to a certain extent or maybe get a bat that's a little more potent than Mitch Moreland. You know, we'll talk about Moreland later, but I, I think of him as more of a replacement for Travis Shaw than I do an everyday player. Um, so if you want to use Pomeranz for that, that's fine. If you want to instead try to offload Buckles and just use him for salary relief and maybe pick up a B-level prospect, I'm fine with that too. Um, but I'd also be okay with rolling seven deep because, you know, what, you almost always need six or seven starters. And I would probably, if it was up to me, I think I'd go into the season with Pomeranz as my number five. Uh, Stephen Wright has proven that he can pitch effectively in the bullpen and be sort of a swingman. And you certainly can't rely on Pomeranz to pitch a full season. Uh, and then Buckles is sort of on the edge there, you know, see if another team, someone starter gets hurt in spring training and they really need someone, or if not, you know, start the year with Buckles and relief. He seemed to be somewhat capable there last season and, uh, hope you don't need to use him in the rotation again. Yeah. It's an interesting, um, issue that they have, and it's not really an issue. It's a, it's a great place to be at, especially when we're coming off a year when, um, we're remembering times when Henry Owens or Elias had to start, which is not something that we should see from this club going forward. But um, Eddie Rodriguez is the guy I keep gravitating back towards as the guy who has substantial value. Um, and I think the Red Sox maybe at this point could could uh, stand to part with a lefty, um, with Chris Sale being added to David Price. Um, and then they also have Drew Pomerantz here. I think they're becoming a pretty left-handed heavy team. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind that. I don't put a lot of stock into that. Although it's interesting, I was listening to Super Two podcast today. Uh, Tim, Tim Britton and Brian McPherson also had an emergency podcast, and they brought up this very point. And you know, they're, they're, they sort of left it as well. We don't know whether or not this matters to the Red Sox, and I guess we'll see. Uh, if I was the Red Sox, it wouldn't really factor into me. I certainly understand getting Rodriguez uh, or putting Rodriguez on the market because he's going to bring back the most out of Pomeranz and Buckles and, and, and Wright. That being said, uh, you know the Red Sox need a young, homegrown starter who's sort of cheap to backfill these more expensive guys. And I mean, I know Sale isn't expensive for what Sale is, but he's still making $12, $13 million a season. So I would be really intent on keeping Rodriguez as your number four starter, which I think is probably where he slots in best. I think he has number three upside. But if he's your number four, your rotation is really in good shape. And, you know, they'll have him for another four seasons. So I would be pretty hard-pressed to, to move Erod. Right. And Clay Buckholtz only does have the one year left, and it's hard to believe that they would pony up the money to sign him considering the depth that they have. Do you have right. any idea how much longer Stephen Wright is locked up for? I believe this uh, – Wright either has three or four years left. I'm not sure exactly what his clock is, but uh, – He's either entering his first year of arbitration or he even has one year uh, before that left. Yeah, but he's like 100 years old already, so you never, you never know what's going to happen with him and that shoulder too. Yeah, but what's the true age of a knuckleballer? They have their own weird scale. Uh, that's you know sort of your point is why I don't feel the need to make room for Stephen Wright in the rotation. And, you know, I know he was an all-star last year, and he had that 12-game stretch where he was one of the better pitchers in baseball, but... He's a knuckleballer. Uh, there's a lot of circumstances that impact him. You know, he doesn't pitch well in the rain. He doesn't pitch well when it's humid. Right. He doesn't pitch well when it's really hot. Uh, he's a guy, I, I think, you know, on a really good team, he's your ideal swing man, number six starter, who you don't have to feel bad about if you do need to plug him into the rotation several times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, moving over to the other deal that was made um, before the Chris Sale deal, um, the Sox filled what was 
you know talked about as the biggest hole um, for the team to fill this offseason, which was its eighth min- eighth inning setup man. Um, they added Tyler Thornburg for a pretty reasonable price, I thought, um, to the Brewers in exchange for Travis Shaw, Mauricio Dubon, and Josh Pennington. Um, in Tyler Thornburg, they're getting a pretty good pitcher. You want to explain to people who might not have followed this guy just how good a pitcher he is? Yeah, and you know, people who have been listening to me on BP for a while will will think it's funny that Thornburg is a Red Sox because I've sort of been the high man on him forever. Um, he was a starting pitching prospect back when he was, you know, a prospect eligible, but a lot of people thought he would have to move to the bullpen because he's he's fairly short and he doesn't have an elite third pitch. But uh, high strikeout guy, he struck out 34% of batters he faced last year. Uh, tolerable walk rate for someone who misses that many bats. The one thing you might be a little skeptical of is he does tend to give up a lot of fly balls. Uh, but, you know, sometimes that's the trade-off when you're missing as many bats as Thornburg does. And he's coming to the Red Sox with three years of control left. He's only 28, you know, sort of peak time to get a reliever. So slots in very naturally to that uh, setup man role. If anything does happen to Kimbrell and he needs to miss time, Thornburg does have a little bit of experience closing. And uh, just another really potent right-handed weapon to add to the back of the bullpen. And if Carson Smith comes back healthy and if Joe Kelly looks the way he looked at the end of last season, and I know those are two pretty big ifs, uh, but if even one of those happens, frankly, you're, you know, you're starting to put together a pretty dominant back trio. Yeah, with these two new additions, um, you're talking about adding two guys that have uh, a couple of the most devastating pitches in baseball, uh, Thornburg with that curveball and Chris Sale with the slider. Um can you talk about which of those pitches you're looking forward to seeing more on a regular basis next year? Uh, well, I think I think, I think sales slider is better, but I'm uh, curveball is my favorite pitch, uh, so I will be extremely pleased watching Thornburg. Yeah, that pitch is just filthy. I can't wait to see him in action. So that's that's really good. I think they they got a, a substantially uh, better eighth inning guy than they had at any point last year for a very reasonable cost here and um, considering what the market is looking like it's going to bear out for guys like Kenley Jansen and uh, Araldis Chapman you know 80 to 100 million dollars probably for those contracts this really looks like a, a very smart deal getting ahead of the market yeah I mean the Red Sox definitely gave up talent here and you know it's funny how much sort of public opinion has shifted in terms of trading for relievers. You know, if a team made this deal for a, a reliever five years ago, we'd be killing them. Sure. Um, but Travis Shaw, I think we saw what Travis Shaw is last year, right? He is a good 23rd or 24th player on your roster. Uh, he's really a bench guy and on a contender. And Mauricio Dubon, you know, it's it's tough to say prospects are blocked, but once they reach double A AA or triple A, that, that is a possibility. And he was truly blocked in every sense you know he wasn't going to start at second short or center field for the red sox they already have a good uh, utility guy in brock holt they even have marco hernandez ahead of mauricio dubon so he really and truly was blocked uh and josh pennington is you know guys like that are a dime a dozen throw-ins and in trades so it's a lot i guess the way to put it is it's a very healthy haul for the brewers i think they did well here but every piece the red sox gave up was expendable yeah, both these deals, I came away with thinking that both teams in, in each of the deals um, has to be really happy with what each of those clubs got. I mean, in the White Sox, they get arguably the number one prospect in all of baseball, um, one of the higher upside pitchers in all of baseball, a starter in Basabe, hopefully someday. And, um, you know, with with uh, the Brewers, they just got 
all of the things that you just mentioned that are all pretty good. And Dubon, I think, could probably start for some teams and possibly even the Brewers. So um, really good trades all around, I think. Yeah, it's it's funny. I, I was having this debate on Gchat with Brett and Craig earlier. I think the White Sox, it's crazy to call that return light, but I was surprised that that was all it took to get sale. Um, and you know the way the sale trade broke was very interesting. We heard we heard Moncada and Kopik right away, and then we heard two more names. And I would have bet my life savings, meager as they are, that it was either Swihart or Erod going back. That's what you I know, was I really thought they were going to need a major league piece. Um, so I was surprised when it ended up being really only two blue chip guys. I mean, Basabe is a fine prospect, but he's borderline top 100, if that. And, uh, you know, Diaz is just sort of organiz- organizational fodder is too harsh. But, okay, a future seventh inning guy, that, that's nothing for Chris Sale. So I was surprised, especially when you heard about, you know, Lucas Giolito and Victor Robles coming back potentially from the Nationals. Uh, the Nationals, you know, were the big front runner to land Sale going into last night. I thought it would take a little more than Moncada and Kopik to get uh, to get sale, and that's certainly a lot to give up. And I understand why the White Sox did it, especially if they do believe that Moncada is going to be a star. But I was surprised they didn't also need an established major leaguer to sort of headline everything. How do you compare those packages? The Nats were reportedly talking about Giolito and Robles for uh, hit for for um, sale, um, and the package that the Red Sox gave up in Moncada and Kopik in my eyes, isn't quite as good as what the Nationals may have had to give up to get sale. Yeah, so I think they're sort of inverse packages, right? That You can either choose to have the pitcher or hitter that's MLB ready and then the high upside pitcher or hitter. So the White Sox went with the hitter, the safer hitter. Um, And I I can certainly understand that. You know, what's interesting is I wonder how much Basabe swung the balance there because he might have been a better third piece than the Nationals are willing to offer. Uh, but I agree with you. You know, I saw people online earlier saying that, you know, Mancada and Kopik is clearly better than Giolito and Robles. And I, I don't think I agree. Yeah. Uh, and even if I don't agree, it's certainly very, very close. So uh, it's interesting. But, you know, when you're when you're trading your franchise cornerstone, it, you, you just go with your personal evaluations. So sometimes, you know, making comparative deals like that is tough to do. I think it's also worth noting what a confusing day this must have been for Matt Collins who uh, saw Mauricio Dubon go away, but then got recognized by his hero all in the same, like, five, ten minute span. Yeah, I mean, I, I spend a good amount of my time rooting for bad things to happen to Matt Collins, but uh, that was that was, that was was pretty cool to see and pretty funny. And, uh, you know, Dubon does seem like a good guy. I followed him on Twitter for a while and uh, seems kind of happy-go-lucky, and you certainly hope he finds a, a useful everyday role in Milwaukee. Yeah, absolutely. We wish him the best. Um, so to the to the least exciting news of the day, uh, the Red Sox do sign Mitch Moreland to a one-year $5.5 million deal. Um, you know, this was a little bit perplexing to me, and I was kind of egging on Pete Abe online uh, today because he was saying that the Red Sox were going to do this, and I was like, it's a terrible idea. Um, Mitch Moreland is not all that good of a hitter. He's a lefty, but he doesn't really hit righties all that well. Um, it seemed like a bizarre signing to me, but then, you know, people started telling me what great defense he played, and I know that he won the gold glove, and by our baseball prospectus metrics, he ranked seventh amongst first basemen uh, in defensive metrics last year, um, so he wasn't a slouch, but at the same time, like, this is a guy who's pretty imperfect, uh, who just signed to play first base for the Red Sox, and I, I just felt a little bit underwhelmed by this move. 
Yeah, I have. A, it's definitely underwhelming. I guess I have a few thoughts. First, I don't think this is the last move they'll make for a bat, and I really don't think Moreland is going to be the everyday first baseman. I think he is the replacement for Travis Shaw on the roster. I think he'll get 250 plate appearances, 300 plate appearances. Um, you know, that's not super exciting, but he's a viable major leaguer. He's a good defender. Uh, he seems to be a great clubhouse guy for whatever that's worth. And you know, five and five point five million. If it doesn't work out, you can just cut him. There's absolutely nothing beholding the Red Sox to have Moreland on the roster all year. Um, and then the other point is that the Red Sox need to get deeper. Uh, and I think that in the celebration of David Ortiz's retirement, we've sort of lost sight of what a loss David Ortiz is to this team. Mm-hmm. Um, you make up for a lot of that in a very different way by adding Chris Sale, of course. But uh, you know, they, they get, it needs to get they need to find different paths to value now rather than just having that one big bopper who can do all these things. So, adding a guy like Moreland, while he doesn't bring positional versatility, you know, he he upgrades the roster in very small ways, and if if he, you're not relying on him every day, if he lets Hanley spend more time at DH and lets Hanley get healthier, and if he saves you some runs in the field, and if he hits a few homers, you know, I'm fine with it for the very, very modest cost. Uh, I'll be less thrilled if he if the plan looks like it's to have him essentially be a starter, but I still think there's another shoe to drop there. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think uh, we, we will see one of those rotation arms get moved for something of value and presumably a bat at this point because the bullpen looks pretty well set and that rotation looks awesome. Um, but I want to talk about the farm system now um, just very quickly because um, the Red Sox certainly paid dearly over the last couple of years for all of the deals that they made acquiring K- Craig Kimbrell, uh, this deal, Drew Pomerantz, uh, the Pomerantz deal I wish never happened now still. I don't know. I, I keep going back and forth on that deal. Um, but either way, the top 10 has been very diminished by this point. And I wanted to try my hand at telling you the top 10 of the Red Sox farm system. Uh, you just covered these guys, so I wanted to get your opinion on it. Uh, this is how I have it shaking out now. Rafael Devers, number one. Jason Grom, number two. Um, Sam Travis, three. Brian Johnson, four. Josh Ockamy, five. Bobby Dalbeck, six. Uh, CJ Chatham, seven. Chavez, eight. Uh, Roniel Rodez, nine. And some one of Mike Sharon, Kyle Martin, or Luis Isala uh, with, the, with the last spot there. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, that looks decent to me. The good news is, you know, for all intents and purposes, Benintendi is no longer a prospect, but he is still technically eligible. So if we put him at one, all of a sudden it looks a lot better. Um, It's uh, it's tough because, honestly, once you get past Sam Travis, I'm not sure there's another top 200 prospect in this. Uh, You know, Devers is probably a top 20 guy. Grom, probably a top 50 guy. Travis, you know, maybe in the 125 range. Yeah. Uh, and it really falls off a cliff after that. You know, Brian Johnson is at best a number five starter, and he's probably not one who's terribly well suited to doing that in, in Boston. Uh, Alchemy has a very long swing, even though he has some power. Same thing with Dahlbeck, but he's his swing's even longer. Uh, you know, Chatham is athletic, but I, he's sort of a Jordy Mercer type of guy is, is the comp I put on him when I read about him. Hmm. Uh Chavez is is tough, man. He's really gone. He's gone backwards. And I know he had a great first six weeks or so last season, and then he hurt his thumb, and it really was derailed from there. And uh, Raudis, I, I have mixed reviews on, and the other guys are just, you know, it's not great if they're in your top ten. But you know, the, the Red Sox haven't traded their starter yet. They could rebuild the system. They haven't. 
they, ha- they haven't had the new draft yet. You know, they they were penalized internationally this year. So it wouldn't surprise me if this is the low point for the system. And as bad as it is, it's it's probably only bottom 10 and not bottom five, just based on the strength of the top three, if you include Ben Benintendi. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that probably going forward, that top two of Devers and Grom is going to be pretty fiercely protected by the organization, you'd think. Uh, I don't I mean, with Dave, I don't know, man. I, I never have any <laughs> idea what he's going to do. Uh, yeah, I, I always assumed Devers would be the guy who got dealt uh, when they moved Moncada to third, but that, that's been flipped on its head. So I'm not super positive Devers is going to be a third baseman long term, but uh, hopefully he can at least start his career there because that looks to be the area where the Red Sox will need him most. Um, but, you know, I, I wrote the TA about this, the the sale trade for, for baseball prospectus. And yes, like the farm system looks pretty ugly now, but, you know, this isn't the case of the old Yankees trading in their one or two good prospects to sort of uh, pry open a contention window or, or even or even like Dombrowski's old Tigers used to do. You know, they'd finally get one top 100 prospect and they'd trade it for a number four starter. Uh, you know, the Red Sox have acquired uh, a real star in Chris Sale and, and another very, very good player in Tyler Thornburg and at least uh, very good players in Kimberlin and Pomeranz. I know Red Sox fans might not want to hear that, but they've brought back some pretty elite talent for these prospects. And the, the talent they have on the MLB roster is still exceedingly young. I mean, Bogarts and Betts just turned 24 a few weeks ago. So there, this is not a, a time of desperation for the Red Sox. They're not going to need these guys to sort of stay in contention. They have a three, really a three-year period right now, uh, a three-year window in which they should be very, very, very competitive. When you have guys like, you know, Palmer, uh, Sale and, and Pomeranz and Porcello and Rodriguez and all the offensive guys still under contract. Uh, really, in the next two years, the only guys who will be up are our price can opt out and Kimbrell's contract will be over. So uh, certainly a two-year window coming up and really a three-year window for the Red Sox to make a lot of noise. How much do you think the upcoming 2018 free agent class affected Dave Dombrowski's to g- decision to go all in on sale and try and win before that hits? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are. I'm sure that was a factor. Uh, it's probably difficult for the Red Sox to project exactly how much money they'll have to spend because their young players are going to get more expensive. You know, you have guys like Price who could potentially opt out. You have different contracts who are going to who are going to move. So they probably have less clear an idea of, of what their financial future is going to look like at that point than some other teams do. Um, and that's a huge part of what makes Sale so attractive is, is he is dirt. He's cheap for a mid rotation starter. Never mind for one of the five best pitchers in baseball. So that's that's what really makes him special and even more special than if they had gone out and, you know, traded for Zach Greinke or something. His sales contract is incredibly team friendly. Right. Yeah, that was a huge consideration, no doubt. Um, let's close with this. Um, how good are the Red Sox now and are they prohibitive favorites in the American League? And uh, if they are, are they favorites to win it all next year? Um, I mean, uh, yeah, December 6th, I think they're prohibitive favorites in the American League. You know, the Blue Jays lost a lot of talent. Uh, I think the Yankees will be good, but they're probably a year away from really competing. The Orioles, they always find a way to hang around, but on paper, they certainly can't match up with this Red Sox team. And the Rays are probably not going to be great next year. So that that's the division. And then if you look to other divisions, uh, the Astros have made some pretty promising moves this year, but their pitching can't hold a candle to Boston's, even if their lineup might be a little better now. The Rangers are deep, 
you know, in the Central, the Indians will be right back there. But I think, again, you'd have to give the edge to the Red Sox because last year it was the pitching that set the Indians apart. And this year, you might give that edge to the Red Sox. So, yeah, in the AL, I think they're pretty comfortably the top team. But obviously, you know, that could change by this time tomorrow, depending on what else the winter meetings holds. Across the league, um, I don't know. The Cubs are deeper. The Cubs have a, an even a better offense now, probably, or at least as good an offense. And, uh, you know, it's sort of a toss-up between which pitching staff you prefer. So I would still put the Cubs a little ahead of the Red Sox, but I think they're in that next tier now with, you know, the Nationals and maybe the Indians and maybe the, maybe the Astros. And I bet you the Dodgers find a way to get back there, too. Yeah, either way, really, really exciting stuff from the Red Sox, and they're going to be um, right in the mix of it next year. So hopefully we'll get some more exciting news as the winter meetings drones on, and we will get to uh, report those to you. But uh, great start to the winter meetings. I mean, Dave went in, shook hands with everybody, and then jumped into the pool naked, screaming he was a golden god the second day. So uh, the guy knows how to, he knows how to work a room. Yeah, he is uh, pretty much the anti-Ben Charrington in good ways and in bad, but he's he's extremely, extremely exciting to uh, to watch what he does to your team. Absolutely. Well, Ben, thank you for joining me on this emergency podcast. Uh, you can follow Ben Carsley on Twitter at, at Ben Carsley. You can follow me at, at Deb Jake, and uh, both of us will be undoubtedly tweeting about all of the comings and goings about the Red Sox uh, performance at the winter meetings, and uh, we will be with you shortly.